This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Sorry for being a little late tonight. I had to find the Gemara that I wanted to learn with you tonight, and I couldn't find the Gemara. Finally, Baruch Hashem, I found the Gemara I was looking for. So, first of all, Baruch Hashem, we, um, we, uh, the, the miracle of the horse ranch that we have is getting bigger and bigger. Uh, we were just going through the plans and came across these plans that on this property are these three ponds that this guy built with waterfalls and everything, but we never saw them because the pumps were broken, whatever. To make a long story short, um, they came down and they uncovered it all, and we, we found out that um, he had put in a $150,000 area of ponds and waters and guns and ice or whatever it is that we didn't even know when we bought the place so it's mamish the miracle is getting greater and greater and finally um, two days ago we got our horses so we both Hashem have horses now um, very excited I never thought I was going to be excited about horses <laughs> I never thought I'd go out and buy hay you have to learn about hay right you, we didn't even know what hay to buy you have to buy special hay Anyway, it's Baruch Hashem. Um, one of the simanim, when I first heard about this place, um, anybody have a sitter on them? No, okay, forget it. Um, so one of the simanim was that when the real estate agent called me and he said that we might have this ranch that you're looking for, so I said, where is it? What's the name of the town? So he said, Bethel. I happen to know Bethel because it's up near White Lake. You got to go slow. There's a lot, a lot of cops in Bethel, town of Bethel. So when he said Bethel, I said, I think I'm interested. I wasn't going to explain it to him, but you know that we, we learn Chumash all the time. I've given Shurim for many, many years. The most, one of the most fascinating pieces that I talk about is Yaakov's dream. And in Yaakov's dream, right? It was a Sulam. And he wakes up and he says, Manoira Hamakam Hazeh. How unbelievable this place is, right? And he says, I didn't know that it's so holy. But Tikra es Shemo, Beiskel. So he woke up from his dream, the place that he was there, he didn't realize how great it was. He said, this is where Hashem dwells, and he named it Bethel. So I'm like, of all the towns in America, there's a ranch in Bethel. So maybe it's the right place. And... Um, I, I, I would love to take you all on a tour to see it um, one of these days, Mitz Hashem, maybe you come up to the mountains. And it's just um, it's just an amazing place, and it's going to be a very very good place for for healing, for the girls to heal. The therapist I came up to see it said that um, we're going to have a big problem, that once the girls are healthy, they're not going to leave. Well, we'll have to figure that out, but... Um, it's just therapeutic and the interesting part is something I talked about in many shiurim of course therapy is important I'm not saying that therapy is not important but the therapy of the world that Hashem created there's so much therapy in the world itself and you go up to a place that's 20 acres of just rolling hills and a lake and, a, and, you, and you sit at a, at a little bit of a waterfall and you just just sit there in Hashem's nature and you smell the ground and you smell the earth and you're out of the city and, and all this commotion and all this buzz in your head and your phones and everything else 
you just feel better. He created a world that sight and, and, and being able to hear and water and just the beauty of a Baruch world is so therapeutic. Um, so I'm not saying you don't need therapy, but like these girls, I think that's, you know, agriculture that just interesting because I'm learning about this now. And um, there's agricultural therapy where you plant your own food. So we have a farmer. Hashem sent me everybody that there's a couple that was just married. He's a farmer. He's a He's a, a guy that lived in, in the woods for three years by himself. He's a naturalist. You know, he's like, I'm going to teach the girls how to get maple syrup out of the trees. I'm like, I want to come on that trip. You know, I want to learn how to do that. Um, and, and he was up there and they were married and they, they didn't like the city and they were living up there by themselves. And, and, and we found them. They found us, whatever. And now they're, they're the family, the, the couple that's running the house. And, you know, this guy's a farmer. So listen to this. Listen to this. We try to build self-esteem, right? A lot of people today, I met a bunch of girls that they're, they're suffering with very low self-esteem. They don't feel productive. You know, they don't feel they can do anything. Now, in agricultural therapy, you take this girl or guy who doesn't think they can do anything. And they plant something. Tomatoes, cucumbers, doesn't matter what. And two weeks later, something's growing out of the ground. And you planted it. So, for the first time in your life, you're productive that the thing that you worked on was successful. Many of us go to school, right? We don't do well. We're not successful. You'll always be successful as a farmer on that level. If you, put, you plant tomatoes, some tomato plant's going to grow. Now, the Gemara says, interesting, that what you plant yourself is worth nine times more. In other words, let's say I plant a tomato... And you steal it. It's worth nine tomatoes. Because when you plant something, and you water it, and you take care of it, and then it grows, it has a value much more than if you go to the store and you buy a tomato. So in agricultural therapy, all these kids, right, they're taking dirt, which is what they think they are, right? They don't think much of themselves. They're taking dirt... They're putting a bunch of seeds in it. They're watering it. And within two weeks, they see things that are growing. And they realize that you put a little bit of work in, so they actually work with the ground, work with the vegetables or corn or whatever they're working with. And then in your salad is a tomato that you planted. What better therapy? You're gonna, again, I'm not, I'm not ragging on therapy, but what's it do? Imagine doing that or sitting for an hour and telling someone your problems. And then, like, how can you help me? It's like, so how do you feel? Imagine planting, getting up in the morning, planting it, picking it, eating it, putting it in a salad, and, you know, the stuff that you plant smells from the earth. So I'm sitting there, and I'm like, wow, I, I need some of that therapy. That's amazing. So, so the whole... The whole Bria, I have to tell you where I'm I was going to save it for my opening speech. When we open the ranch, we hope to open the ranch in September, maybe after Yontem, maybe before Yontem, whatever. My opening speech, I went to my Rebbe in Eretz Yisrael to get a bracha on the ranch. I was just there for my, the bar mitzvah of my grandson. So I told him, I'm opening this ranch. You can imagine Rabbi Gamliel sitting in Yerushalayim. Shiva Shari Shemayim. I'm trying to explain to him. He says, what is this? I said, it's for girls. It's for... Anxiety, depression, eating disorders, 
self-mutilation, suicidal thoughts. It's for emotional things, whatever, because of what kids went through, whatever it is. But she understood. I said, the main thing we're doing is susim. It's horses. So I think he first thought that we're doing therapy for horses that are depressed. And I'm not sure if he understood, because my infrared is not good at all. He said, what do you mean horses? I'm like, the girls, they don't trust people because of what they went through. So they get to trust the animal. And then through the trust of the animal, they're able to start to step towards trusting human beings. The difference between a horse therapy and, and dog therapy is you can't ride the dog. But you can ride the horse. And you become like one and yeah, whatever. So he says, does it work? I actually have an article. I don't, I don't have time to read it here. But a whole article from the New York Times that someone gave me called The Horse is the Therapist. Amazing what it writes about these kids that Mamish had no connection to anyone and through, through they, they call it, they don't call it equine, they call it something else. Uh, there was a different word for the therapy, but whatever. Um, so, Rabbi Gamliel said, now I understand why everyone is messed up today. He said, why? He said, because in the olden days, they didn't have cars. They had horses. So they were always in therapy. He says, now you have cars, you have no more therapy. He said, that's a joke, but maybe it's not such a joke. <laughs> right? So, anyway, Baruch Hashem, we're, we're, um, we're very, very excited. We're going to do dedications. We actually got our first dedication this week. Someone dedicated both kitchens. Um, a lot of money. And uh, Baruch Hashem, that's our start. We're gonna, we, we, any girl that wants to dedicate, we'll name the ranch after you. Right now it's called the Ranch at Bethel. You want to call it Malky's Ranch at Bethel? We'll do that. The Rosen, the Rosen's why, you know, it'll cost a little bit, but we'll do it. But anyway, we're very, very excited, and, and I told it to someone today. You just have to dream. And you just have to want something. You want it for the right reasons. It's unbelievable what our Kodesh Baruch Hu did here. It's unbelievable. I've asked forgiveness for him because I was for five years searching for a place, and... I could not find it, and I did not understand why Hashem wasn't giving us a place for our girls. It just happens to be, you know, you ask for signs. Um, on the second house, there's two men, there's two houses on this property. On the second house, so what happened was that it's part of the shear because it's a shear. It's, it's a very big lesson to learn. When we came to see this place, so there's this huge mansion, and the plastic's still on the on the bathrooms, and nothing's used and nothing's touched and everything's brand new and I didn't understand nobody ever lived here you don't even have to kasha the kitchen right and Amir Tashem will have posted this week maybe uh, pictures of the ranch on, you go to arnava.com go on, online you'll be able to see pictures and everything in this house was was the guy spent crazy amounts of money it doesn't look like he ever moved in and then they took us to the second house it was the house that he was living in when he was building the big house Okay, we come to the second house, the house that he's live, he was was living in before he died. He he finished the house, he finished the stables, he finished everything, and he died. He never moved into anything. The biggest klala is you will build something and you will not move in. You will plant and you will not harvest. The biggest bracha is they will build something and you will move in. They will plant and you will harvest. Pashikisavo. So. We come to this other house. This is out in the boondocks. This is in 
Bethel, right? This is not Jewish at all. And there's a mezuzah on the front door. And the mezuzah has a hand-painted horse, because everything's horses. Why, why would there be a mezuzah on the front door of the house that this guy lived in? No way is he Jewish. I saw pictures. There's no way. So I asked the real estate agent, what's the deal? Why a mezuzah? He said that the owner's wife is Jewish. So his children are Jewish. So there's one mezuzah on the front door. You know, you need signs, you need signs, whatever. Anyway, this week, there was a girl in my office who came from, I'm not going to say where, but she came from a program. She was there for 14 months. Now, the, the law is that whether you go to a Christian program or a Jewish program or any program, you can't preach at the program. It's illegal to preach Christianity to a Jewish kid or Judaism to a Christian kid. You're not allowed to preach. your therapy, you're therapeutic. So if you go to a hospital and you're in a psych hospital with a psych ward, the nurse can't tell you, you know, go to church. Or, or you know, if you die, if you die, then you're going to get better. You're not allowed to mix religion. Anyway, this girl's in my office and she had just come back. And I was telling her about the ranch and everything else. And I know where she is. And she says to me, I have to tell you something about Wallstein. You know where I am? I'm like, yeah, sure. She goes, one of the therapists kept saying that if we really want to get better, then we have to believe in Yashka. And we need to pray to Yashka. I'm like, what are you talking about? It's illegal. The therapist can't say that. Why don't you go to the head and tell them that they're preaching. They're not allowed to preach. She goes, we're very scared because if we tell on her, first of all, all the other ones that do go to church, all the other girls are going to be like, what, you got to throw out because you're Jewish? And she said, so I didn't say anything. So I said, Hakash Welcome keeps sending me signs of why I should do this. Because we're not going to do that. We're not, definitely not going to tell them to go to church. That's for sure. So it's it's more and more and more. The more that we're involved, the more that we see that that this is a very important undertaking. And it all started with Ornava. If it wasn't for Ornava, there wouldn't be a, a ranch or a high school or a seminary. It all started a long, long time ago with six girls. Six girls, not here, who came to a shear. And when I finished the shear, how Hashem runs the world, I gave a shear and I told him, you can't go to the movies, and you can't go to clubs, and you can't hang out with boys, and you can't drink. Pretty much at the end of the shear, they came up to me and said, so what? You took everything away that's fun. Like, you want us to stay home and bake cookies? Like, Red Wallstein, you know, get with it. I said, Okay. So uh, I'll offer you, what do you want to do? I, I'm not going to offer you a club or boys. And they said, we'll do kickboxing. I said, okay, you come Wednesday night, starting on a Wednesday night. So you come Wednesday night before my shear for an hour, kickboxing, and I'll bring you supper. And that's how it started, six girls. And then they brought their friends. And then their friends couldn't come Wednesday night because they're in college. And this was Monday night. And then Tuesday night. And then Sunday night and just... Because Bochum wants something to happen, you just got to take the step forward. You take the step forward, things happen. Now, we are for sure 100% in the Iklisa de Meshicha, the footsteps. My favorite, no, not my favorite, the worst organization in the world which doesn't stop doing what they're doing. Um, the Erev Rav of our generation, taking Jewish kids and destroying them. I want to read you a Gemara. It's a happy Gemara, 
And it's a very sad Gemara. We know Rabbi Akiva was walking with other Tamidei Chachamim on Har Abayis, where the Beit HaMikdash was. And they were Shualim, they were, they were foxes that were running around in the Kodesh Kedoshim. And the Chachamim started to cry. And they said, the Kayan God all thought, one wrong thought in the Kodesh Kedoshim, he died. And now foxes are running freely and Hashem's not doing anything? And they sat down on the floor and they began to cry hysterically. And Rabbi Akiva sat down and he began to laugh. And they said, what are you laughing about? This is like the saddest moment. And Rabbi Akiva said, the Navi said there'll be a time that there'll be shualim, there'll be foxes in the Kodesh Kedoshim. But the Navi said, but after that time will come the time of the Mashiach. So until you see the foxes in the Kodesh Kedoshim, you're not going to see Mashiach. So it was a happy time, but it was a very, very sad time. Are we really in the footsteps of Mashiach? When I was in Eretz Yisrael, I was talking to someone about that I feel very much that we're in the footsteps and all the signs of Mashiach that the Gemara talks about, the Gemara about Mashiach is in Mashiach the Saita, Dat Mem Tes which is the last page in the Homosech the Saita. That's the Gemara that talks about Mashiach. And I told this person that, you know, we have all the Simonim that he's here and that he's going to be here very soon. And the person said to me, Rabbi Wallerstein, I was in the Holocaust. When, when I was very young and we were running in the Holocaust and all the Jews were being slaughtered, they also told us it's Mashiach. It's the war of Mashiach, and the Gemara says in the war of Mashiach, many Jews would die. So we were sure it was Mashiach. It's 80 years later. He's still not here. So, said, good. What do you answer someone like that? Right? They also heard about Mashiach. So now we're suffering with marriages, with the with Shidduch crisis, and having children crisis, and the cancer crisis, and the Shalom Bayez crisis, and all the crises that we're having, we're like, for sure, this is Mashiach. And he's like, yeah, we said that by the Holocaust. How do you know this is Mashiach? And the answer is that the Holocaust had one ingredient. That there would be a mass war. And there would be a huge war. But there were many other ingredients in the Gemara that had not happened yet. So the people who said it's Mashiach's time in the Holocaust, according to the Gemara, there were a bunch of stuff that was still missing. Now, the Gedolim today, the Gedolim say that that war was part of Mashiach. You see, if you learn all the Gemara, it says there's going to be a war. And the Navi says, and their eyes are going to melt, which is radiation. And we talk it dropped two nuclear bombs. Hiroshima, right? Nakasaki and Hiroshima. And a lot of people in the world will die. So they're saying that Mashiach is a, it's not, it's not a moment. It's not a day. It's a set time. So, because we could not handle everything at one time, the war happened. The next piece happened. I want you to listen to this Gemara, and you tell me if we're in the times of Mashiach. This is what the Gemara says. The Iqlis to Mashiach, Chutzpah Yiske, in the period which will precede the coming of Mashiach, Chutzpah will increase. Think, think that's what's happening? Maybe a little bit. Now, 
Listen to the words that the, the arch world translates. The simile refers to the final period of exile. When Mashiach will not yet have come, but signs of his imminent arrival will be discerned as though his approaching footsteps were already audible. So we spoke about this last week. They think they named it. Erev Rav, they're going to destroy Israel. They didn't understand that they named their organization because it's the footsteps of Mashiach. That's what he says. Okay. So there's no Shiloh, ask any teacher or any parent, that chutzpah, right, increased. Okay. The vine will yield its fruit, but wine will become expensive. Anyone who knows anything about wine today, because I bought wine from my Pesach program, used to be $4 a bottle for a little... A little uh, cream malaga. Today there are bottles for $150-$180. And the government will turn to heresy to not believing, being atheistic, and there shall be no rebuke. That the, that the, the government that we will live in, right, uh, the, the world's dominant power, brought down from Melech Shlomo, will aid the spread of atheism okay no man will be able to reproach another nobody will be able to give musr because all men will be equitous when a sinner is admonished he will simply retort you are no better than I the bearers of truth will be unable to demonstrate the falsity of heretical views this is mamish the power of footsteps and today I had this girl also just throwing we're not going to have the answers in the times of Mashiach. They're going to have such crazy questions on Judaism and on God that we're not going to have the answers. Of course, they don't, they don't want the answers. But it's going to come to a point where people are going to write books, physicists and other people are going to write books, that, that we're, we're not going to have the answers. We're not going to be able to answer them. That's what he says. He says it before we over here. He says it's going to be a, it's going to be a, a, a time we're not going to have the answers. There shall be no proof. The bearers of truth will be unable to demonstrate the falsity of the, of the views. Okay, next. So far, Imam is talking about our days. Beis Vad The meeting place of, of, of where they used to learn will be used for znus, for immoral acts. So that I don't understand. Only thing I can think of that maybe it's talking about the internet. People go to the internet to learn. Dafyaymi. Shiurim, in the same place that there's Shiurim and Nafyaimi, there's crazy immorality. Maybe. And the Galil will be destroyed. And the people that dwell at the borders, like in Katif, next to, um, next to the Arabs, will wander about from town to town. It just happens to be that I just heard in Eretz Yisrael, they're complaining that all those people that they kicked out when they, when they gave Gush, Gush Katif back to the Arabs, they, ne- they promised them to relocate them. They never did. They put them in caravans and they're going from place to place to place to place. Mamash, it happened already. And the wisdom of the scribes will decay. And those who dread sin will be despised. Whoever gets up and talks against doing the wrong thing, they're the ones who are going to be hated. Rabbi Mizrahi, he's going to be the guy that everyone talks bad about. Right? Whilst he talked about Zumba, 
I'm going to be the one that they call the monster. And, uh, and uh, what they call me, a prehistoric guy who lives in a cave. God forbid, you're never allowed to get up and say anything. You're not allowed to admonish. You're not allowed to give musr. No, they want to do the bad thing. You should buy it for them. Twisted parenting. Right? So the times of Mashiach, the good guys, the guys who get up and want to say what you should do right, the teachers that get up and open their mouth, she's, she's, she's an old lady. She doesn't understand what we are. We're the bad ones. God forbid you should talk against the immorality in America. I got up many years ago when they had the hurricane. I opened up a Medrash Rabbah. The Medrash Rabbah said that hurricanes come. Medrash Rabbah, I read it from inside, not me. It said hurricanes come from homosexuality. I read it. Oh, forget about it. They went crazy on me. I think it was in the New York Times. They went crazy. A rabbi said, nah, 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 right? I said, I didn't say it. I read it from a Medrash Rabbah, right? You're not allowed to give anyone criticism. You're not allowed to say the truth. You say the truth, you don't get no more jobs. Nobody hires you to speak anywhere. You're done. Can't give musr. In the times of Mashiach, the Rav, the guy who gets up and says the truth, will be hated. Everyone's scared to say the truth. Onward. Those who dread sin will be despised. The one who says, don't talk by davening. Eh, he's crazy. He's got problems at home. He's thinking out on us. Truth will be absent. Now, here you go. This is so scary. Okay, so what do you think I said so far? I say, yeah, it's not just in our times. It happened before. Here we go. The young people will embarrass their elders. The older people will have to get up and give respect to the kids. This is mamish twisted parenting. This is it. You want to do the wrong thing? I have to go make your bed to do the wrong. You want to do the wrong thing? I got to buy you the unkosher. I got to give you whatever you want, even if it's the biggest avera. I have to do it for you, right? Because I have to stand up for you. Rabbi, Rabbi Gamliel said to me when I mentioned him the whole thing I gave a share about two weeks ago. He says, don't you know, it says in the Sarah Sadibus, Kabed es binchav es bitecha. Honor your, your son and your daughter. That's not what it says. It says, avichav es yimecha. Right? But this is, this is Gemara. This was written thousands of years ago. Okay? Not done. Ben, menavalav. The son will be a manuval to his father. Bas, kama bi'imakala. A daughter will rise against her mother. And a daughter-in-law will rise against her mother-in-law. Oyev ish anche beso. The greatest enemy of the man will be the people in his own home. The face of the generation will be like the face of, the, of a dog. Haben enum is aviv. Children will not be embarrassed in the presence of his father. It's going to be totally out of control. Frank the Gemara, the Gemara says, if this is the case, that the rabbis won't be able to speak their mind because everyone's going to admonish them. Daughters are going to make fun of their mothers. Daughter-in-laws are going to make fun of their mother-in-laws. Boys are not going to be scared to go up against their fathers. 
the greatest pain of everyone is going to come from their own home, not from somebody else's home. How are we going to be able to exist in the times of the Ikhlas of the Mishicha? Says the Gemara, On what can we lean? Who's going to help us? She says, in the times of Mashiach, we're going to have to lean upon our Father in heaven. That's all that's going to be left. Nothing else. Nothing else is going to help us. We're not going to have anyone in the government. Our kids are going to be rebelling. It's going to be disastrous. The whole place is going to be disastrous. So who's going to help us? So in the end, HaKadosh Baruch is going to end us. Now what does this mean? That the face of the generation is going to be the face of a dog. The reason I'm talking about this Gemara tonight because it's very connected to Pasha's Pinchas. What does it mean, the face of a dog? Chafetz Chaim. Chafetz Chaim says, says the following. He says, what does it mean? A dog, if you ever walked a dog, you ever saw a dog walk, it always turns its head to look back behind it. It walks, it walks, and it looks, keeps looking, keeps looking. Here's what the Chafetz Chaim says. Rabbi Chana Wasserman, in his Kutris Ikfus Meshicha, quotes an explanation from the Chavetz Chaim. The face of the generation are the leaders. The leaders of the generation. A leader must guide his people authoritatively and teach them right from wrong. But in the period before Mashiach, the leaders will first check to see if their views will be popularly received. Like a dog that looks back to see if its master follows. They're going to be, the leaders are going to be only interested to see that they're going to say what you want to hear. So they're going to always keep looking back. Uh oh, if I talk bad about this, you know, they're going to cancel me to talk in the shul. They may take me off Torah anytime. You know, maybe the girls won't come back to my shir anymore because I spoke about sneers, so I want to be nice. So I'm going to just tell them whatever they want to hear. So that's what he says. In the times of Mashiach, the leaders of Klai are going to tell, I'm going to be so scared. You just want to be popular. I have to tell you, I have the same Yitzhah. There were things that I've said in my life that I knew I was going to get clobbered. I was like, I don't know if I want to do this because people like me. You know, then they're not going to like me and they're going to start sending emails around. They're going to blacklist me. You know, when I spoke about Zumba, two shows in Toronto canceled me. Two shows in Chicago. Take it's not a good feeling when everyone sends you, you cancel, we don't want you here. The Rebbitson is the Zumba teacher. Hello. Not a good thing to talk about the Rebbitson like that, right? So, yeah, it hurts. It hurts. You want everyone to like you, but you can't be a leader if you're leading your people because you want them to like you, then you're never going to tell them the truth. This Gemara is my proof to what I said last week and the week before what does unconditional love mean unconditional love does not mean that I give you whatever you want that is conditional love because if I give you whatever I want you want why am I giving it to you because I want you to love me right if you tell me you buy me that non-kosher friend you buy me a, you buy me that what woman called me up today her 11 year old kid said if you don't buy me a tablet you know a tablet I'm not going to school. Terrorists. Finish. Tablet? Or I'm staying home. I'm like, so unconditional love would be, in the way that we learn it, 
give him the tablet whenever he wants, right? But what happens if the kid said, I want you to buy me the tablet, and I'm still not going to school? You're not buying him the tablet. The only reason you're buying him the tablet is because you want him to like you, you want him to go to school. But if he told you up front, I want a tablet, and I want it now, but I'm telling you right now, I'm still not going to like you, I still hate you. I hate your guts. Of course you're not going to buy him. So the reason you're buying him and giving him whatever he wants is on the condition that you like me. That's not unconditional love. That's conditional love. Unconditional love means that I'm going to say no, even though I, I really want you to like me, but I'm going to say no because that's what's good for you. And it's unconditional. Even if you hate me and you curse me and you don't ever talk to me again, I know that I did the right thing for my child. Unconditionally, I will sacrifice my relationship. I will sacrifice everything. I will sacrifice everything. Even though the kid's not going to like me anymore to do the right thing. That is unconditional love. The Gemara here is saying that in the times Mashiach, the rabbis, the leaders, are not going to have unconditional love. They're going to tell you what you want to hear. And they're going to keep looking back. Say, you happy? You like it? You like, you like uh, you know? I gave you a hetar. I let you get away with it. I didn't say anything. Somebody got up this week. He was talking about smart dog, whatever that. You could talk by davening at a certain point. Like, what are you talking about? You know how to talk by davening. Get up and say it. Oh, and no one's going to like you? Oh, everyone's going to walk out on you? Oh, you're going to lose your job? So what? Who do you work for? You work for Hashem. Don't worry about what other people think. If they say that, then they're not going to invite so this is this week's parasha. But just the Gemara said it's going to happen. It's going to happen that the leaders are going to be more worried about what everybody thinks. Like a dog that turns around and keeps looking. Yeah, okay, everything's okay behind me? Everything's good behind me? That's what people are going to look for. They're going to look at what's, what's behind. What's the reaction? I'm going to get up. I'm going to say something. I told it any time. going to play it out. Oh, my God. People are going to hate me because for saying that. They're going to call me all kinds of names. If it's the right thing and you really care about the people... I was listening to Mizrahi this week. I just happened to be in the car when he was speaking. He's getting up there, man. He, he, don't, he don't care if you like him or not. He's like, you're not Shemesh Shabbos. You're going to hell. I'm like, whoa. You're not Shemesh Shabbos. You can't get into Ganeiden. You, what he said. You, you think you're going to write a million dollars to Chacham Avadya as, as a charity and you're going to go to Ganeiden? You're Mechal Shabbos. You're going nowhere. I was like, yeah. He's the man. He's the man. He's not scared. You don't like me? Too bad. It's not about liking me. You should know. If you're Machal Shabbos, you're not going to get it. I'm like, oh, I don't know. You have to be nice to them. Machal Shabbos, maybe it's their bun, you know. You have to invite them. He's like, straight in it. You're Machal Shabbos. He's to his people. You're Machal Shabbos. Oh. So he says, oh, I, so, someone came to a shir and he said, so you keep Shabbos? He said, sometimes. I'm working on it. You're working on it? You're in Gehenim. What do you mean you're working on it? Are you working on living or are you living? I'm listening to him on the, on the radio. I don't get to listen to him that often. I'm like, wow, he really doesn't care what you think of him. He really doesn't care what you think of him. Amazing. He says the way it is. Brach on his head. Whoever follows him is going to go to Ganeiden. And all the other people who are saying what people want to hear, they're taking them to Gehenim. You take, you're buying them a burger that's not kosher? Shh. And then after 120 years, they're going to point to you and say, what did you do? Why did you buy me that? So that's the Gemara, and that's the sweet parasha. Pinchas ben Elazar ben Aaron HaKoyen is the example of not caring, doing what he has to do, and not caring what you think. Listen to the Medrash.
The Medrash says, a lot of the Mephoshim say, Pinchas ben Allah's ben Aaron Akayim. His father, Allah, married one of Yisrael's daughters. Okay? So, his father, Pinchas' father, married a Midianite. Of course, she became a gay or whatever it is, but she married a Midianite. He knew that if he's going to open his mouth, if he's going to do anything, they're going to make fun of him because Yisrael, what was Yisrael's job? Yisrael was a priest. And what he used to do is he used to fatten animals, he used to make them fat so that you could bring them as a sacrifice to avoid Yisrael. So he knew at the minute he opened his mouth, they're going to say, you shut up, you, you're, you're a, an animal, a fat animal feeder stuffer. And he knew that they're going to rip him to pieces. And he knew that the Shevet Shimon, where the 24,000 people died from, because the Ariv Rav, when they came into and became Gerim, they married all the women from Shevet Shimon. So all 24,000 people that died in the Magefa were from Shevet Shimon. He knew that Shevet Shimon, once he kills Zimri, who was their Nasi, are going to try to kill him. So on top of trying to kill him, they will be making fun of him for the rest of his life. Who do you think you are? You're a Ger, you're coming from a Ger, to kill a Nasi in Kaisal. And all that embarrassment and all that danger that he put, he took a spear in his hands. Romach stands for Vayikach Ramach Evarov. He took all 248 limbs, he took and he put it on the line to die for Hashem. And it's a beautiful shot that Vayikach Romach we think that Pinchas was this guy, he was a Kanoi, he was looking to like criticize and go after them. So the Torah, the Torah tells us there are people that walk around with a roimach. They have a spear. They walk around in shul. Shh, shh. Be quiet. Move away. Move away. Right. They're always looking to stab the other Jew. They're always critical. Right? There are people like that. So of course you're going to find something wrong. The Torah tells us Pinchas was a man of peace. Vayikach roimach. He didn't have a spear. He had to go get one. He was a man of peace. He didn't walk around with a spear. He had to go find a spear. And he did that because he could not see the disgrace of HaKadosh Baruch. That's it. So he didn't care. You're going to kill me. You're going to make fun of me and my family. Who cares? It doesn't matter. I'm not looking behind me. I'm not trying to be popular. It's not a, it's not a popularity contest, which has turned into today. Everyone's scared to tell people the truth. Tell them the way it is. Tell the truth. Doctors don't, they're not worried. They tell people you have three months, two months. They're not scared to tell the truth. Why are we scared to tell the truth? Get up and tell the truth. If you see there's something wrong, if you really love them, tell them that their arm is, you know, if you see somebody and they're wearing clothing and it has a stain on it, you're going to say, well, I don't want to tell them because I don't want them to be upset. You're going to be embarrassed. You're going to walk into the wedding with a stain. So you tell them there's a stain. Why are we scared? But this is this week's parasha. And Hashem said to Pinchas, Ah, you stood up for me. Pinchas Elio. Pinchas became Elio Navi. Not only did Pinchas become Elio Navi, right? But he was a Gilgal, which we'll talk about. We have a few minutes. He was a Gilgal of Nadav Avihu. It's a very big lesson in this week's parasha that Hashem 
always gives you another chance. How was Pinchas a Gilgal of Nadav Avihu? Because you can't have two souls. Because Nadav Avihu, they didn't get married. And a man without a woman is considered a half. So the two of them together were a whole. So the Medrash says that when they, Shevet Shimon tried to kill Pinchas, he had sort of a heart attack and his neshama went out. Pinchas' neshama went out. And in came the neshamas of Nadav Avihu. And he became El Yohanavi, who never died. It's just interesting. You brought me a Chumash, but I don't think. Because I need a Chamisha from Shaitaira. Huh? No, they have on the, on the side, they have all the blue Chumashim. They have a whole. You, upstairs? In the little room? When you walk in to your left? There's a whole thing of, uh, of Chamisha from Shaitaira, if you have. Thank you, I appreciate it. So let's talk a little bit about this, um, this Eliyar Navi, this Nadavavil. So, why did Nadavavil die? So there's many reasons. They passed on halacha. They, the main reason, the, the reason that the Torah says they died was on the day of the opening of the Mishkan, Hashem said, I will send down a fire, right, on the Mizbeach. Nadavavil did not want to wait. So they put an H Zara, they lit their own fire, and it sort of was an embarrassment, it was a Chil Hashem, they're saying like, God, you can't do it, we have to do it for you. It's not why they did it, they did it because they were excited, but to the Jewish people, they're like, and God will send the fire, and then these two guys light up a fire, like, oh, you don't believe that God can send the fire. So Hashem sent the fire, and when He sent the fire, it killed them. So that was their hate. Their hate was, they made a Chil Hashem, they didn't wait for Hashem to send the fire. Okay. Now they come back as Elioh Navi. If you, when, you, when, when Miriam brings me the, uh, the Chumash, we'll see that Elioh Navi is going to be put in exactly the same situation. And this time he is going to wait. And this time he taka, it's an amazing story. And there's something that they say. That um, that the Navi that Eliyahu Navi says that was never said before, and it's pretty scary. And I think it's very important for our generation to hear this. So in the Navi here, thank you. What parish is it in Kisisa? In parish Kisisa, wild story. I believe it's parish Kisisa. All those here that learnt Navi knows it, know it. Listen to this. Yisro, Shuma, Tzave. Ah, of a good memory. All right, so it's the time, the time of a very big Russia, Achav, and they they killed all the Nevi'im, all the good Nevi'im, and the Nevi'im Habal which is in the VM of the Avaydazara, there were 250 of them. Okay. Now, Yonavi said the following. Let's go up on Har Carmel. If you ever go to Exodus they show you where in Har Carmel this happened. And he said to them the following. He, they, they, they gathered, I'm sorry, 450. It was Yonavi for Hashem and 450 prophets for Baal. The Avodah Zarah. 450 against one. 
So, Eliyahu says to them the following, Eliyahu approached all the people, and he said, How long will you dance between two opinions? If God is the God, follow him. This is what he said. Came out of his mouth. If the Baal is the right God, stop playing both, both, you believe in Hashem, but you go to the movies, but you do this, but you do that, you know, I'm a good Jew. Okay, I go here, I go there, I do this, I do that, wrong, I do wrong. Eliyahu he said, enough. You're either one way or you're the other way. You cannot play both sides of the game. It's the first time anyone ever said that in the whole Torah. Stop with the dominant in the morning and then go to the movies at night. Now, the way I was brought up in Kirov, right? But Hashem, at least you're going to dominant in the morning, right? At least putting on Tula in the morning. Even if he's going to Burger King afterwards, Right, we, we, Lubavitch, all of us, we, anyone who does Kirov, it's like if someone, if someone put on tefillin, I'm not going to tell them either don't put on anything or keep everything. It's not our, it's not our way of doing things. It's like, Hashem, they put on tefillin, you know, it'll change them. Novi came to a different decision here. And he said, and I have to tell you, when I first started teaching 38 years ago, my first class, I just started teaching. I was 20 years old. I just started teaching kids that we're not from. And these kids would go to shul Friday night by car. They told me. I was giving extra credit points for going to shul. And they, they were coming back and telling me, you know, Rebbe, you have to give me extra credit. I'm like, you went to shul? He goes, yeah. I'm like, well, you, you live like 40 minutes away from shul. So yeah, we go by car. I'm like, uh, extra credit? I don't know about that, right? So I had a very big problem. Should I tell them not to go to shul at all? So then where are they going to go? They're going to go by car to the movies, to bowling. They're going by car anyway. They're Machal Shabbos. Or should I tell At least they're going by car to shul. I went to ask for Moshe Feinstein. I just started teaching. So what do I do? They go, I said, for sure they're going to the movies if they don't go to shul Friday night. I said, you are not allowed to, you are not allowed to tell them to go to shul by car. You cannot tell a Jew to do an Avera. Throws a little bit that whole uh, twisted parenting thing in the garbage. You cannot tell another Jew to do an Avera. You cannot help another Jew do it. You told me, you cannot help another Jew do an Avera. If they go to shul on Shabbos, that's their business. You can't say, don't go to the movies, go to shul by car. You can't tell a Jew to be Machal Shabbos. What was going on at that time so I understand a little bit what's going on here by Eliyahu. What's going on is that there were Israelis, most of my students, and the Israelis, even though they didn't keep Shabbos, these Israelis, they had Friday night dinner. She lit candles, they made Kiddush, they had some pita and whatever, trina, right? And then they went to the movies. And they were smoking at the table, whatever it is. So I was thinking... Are these people ever going to get better? They don't have a conscience that they're doing anything wrong. They have a Shabbos meal. So why would they change? Maybe it's better they keep nothing. You keep nothing, you feel bad. I'm a Jew and I'm not keeping anything. If you keep nothing, 
right? Then maybe you'll become from, you'll become religious. But if you're doing something and you feel that I'm a good Jew, my skirt's short, I do, I do this, I do that, I go mixed swimming, I, I do that. But I'm a, I give charity and I, I go to Israel and I'm a good Jew, you're never going to change. So maybe it's better you do nothing. At least you do nothing, you'll change. So I didn't know what to do. Should I tell them not to have a Shabbos meal Friday night? And the answer I was given was, no, don't mix in. Don't tell them not to light candles on Shabbos because they're going to have a guilty conscience. You can't say that. But for some reason, the Jews were so mixed up at the time of Eliyahu Navi and Baal, were so mixed up, Eliyahu Navi said, I'd rather don't go to shul. Don't go to shul in the morning and Baal in the afternoon. Don't go. Choose. If Baal is right, be a complete Baal. If God is right, be a complete God. Do you understand the psychology of it? Because they were so mixed up that the only way to get them to come back to Hashem was all or nothing. I'm not saying today, I would never tell someone not to put on tulin. A guy who a, a hasn't put on tulin in five years this morning said to me, he put on tulin today. Some of the guys got him. They got me. I'm like, they didn't get you. You got them. Bar Hashem, you have a mitzvah tulin. We don't even know what that's worth in the next world. But consciously, you know, we felt, I can't, they're not going to change. They're, they're partying. They're going to Hashem, then they're going to Baal, then they go to the movies, then they go to Hashem, and, they, and, and they, they're not going to change. So he got up there and said, that's it, no, none of this anymore. Either going this way or you're going that way. So what did he do? So how do we know who's right? Is Hashem right or Baal right? Is Hashem right? He says, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do a test. Baal, you guys, you 450 to VM, you build them as Bayach. Put an animal on it. I'm going to build them as Bayach. Put an animal on it. We're both going to scream out to our gods. Whoever sends the fire down, that's the right god. Now, in the VA Baal, they knew that Baal is not real. So they had a problem. So what they did was they put a man in, a, they, they built a hollow of his Bayach, and they put a man in the Mizbeach, and they put the wood on it, and they gave him fire underneath to light, and that when they would scream, fire, he would light it from underneath, and the flame would come up, the wood would come up, and everyone would think that Baal is there by the Zerah. What Hashem did is he sent a snake, who went into the hollow Mizbeach, bit the guy, and he died. So when these guys were screaming, they were wondering that the guy was sleeping, because he wasn't lighting the fire. Okay? So listen to, listen to this inside. I love this. Okay? So it came the afternoon. From the morning to the night, they were screaming in the name of Baal. Habal Enenu, Anenu. Please, Abal, answer us. They were talking to the guy in the Mizbeach, of course. But ain't called, but ain't owner. There was no voice. There was no answer. The Yibat Tzaraim. It came late afternoon. But Yomer Eliyahu said to them, "Kiru Makol Gadol, you're not screaming loud enough. You guys need to scream louder. Kielo Kimhu, because Baal is a god. Kisiach, maybe he is talking to someone. Maybe he is conversing. Or maybe he is going after enemies. Or maybe he's relieving himself. 
Ulayashan. Maybe he fell asleep. But if you yell loud enough, Vayikats, you'll wake him up. These idiots, these fools, thought maybe all you know he's right. Maybe we're not screaming enough. Vayikubakol Gadol, they began to scream even louder. Vayishgoidadu, and they cut themselves. Self-mutilation. Kimishpatam, like with their custom. The Charabas Ubarachim, with swords and knives. Until they were bleeding from all over the place. They were going to bring Baal down no matter what it took. It was getting late. And they were screaming until Mincha. And there was no sound, no response, no listener. Okay. So now, okay guys, it's not working. You're screaming, you're yelling. It's not happening. Come to me. And the whole nation came to him by and he repaired an old Mizbeach and he took the 12 stones and he built the Mizbeach and he put the wood on the Mizbeach and he cut up the animal and he put it on the wood and then he filled up a bunch of water and he poured the water on the carbon on the wood on the Mizbeach until the water was running around the Mizbeach and he said, Hashem Avram, God, the God of Avram, Yitzhak Yisrael, Hayom today Yivada, let it be known, that you are the real God, and I am your servant, and that I did everything in your name. Aneni Hashem Aneni. Answer me, Hashem, and answer me. Answer me so that today the, the nation will know that you are God. And a fire came from God. And burnt the, the animals, the them and the, and the wood, and the stones. This fire just burnt everything to ash. And it dried up all the water that was around them as And the nation saw this. And they fell on their face. That last prayer that we all scream at the end of Yom Kippur, Hashem Elokim, Hashem Elokim. The first time it was said is here by the Nevi'ei Habal. Who was this Elyon Navi? This Elyon Navi was Pinchas, who was Nadav Avihu. Nadav Avihu's sin was they did not wait for the fire to come down. And they made a huge Chil Hashem. Eliyahu Navi, who was being in the souls of Nadav Avihu, this time waited to the last moment and brought a fire down from Shemayim and got Klai Yisrael to do a Kiddush Hashem to say Hashem Elokim, Hashem Elokim. So Eliyahu Navi, who was Pinchas, was Mesakein what Nadav and Avihu did wrong. We see from this, it's brought down the Sefer Gugulim, that every person gets a chance to come down to this world to fix the Chil Hashem or fix what they messed up last time and to fix it and to do it right this time. And it says in the Medrash that right after that the Neshamas left Eliyahu Navi of Nadav Aviyu and his Neshama went way down. Because when he had Nadav Aviyu he was on a very high level they were greater than Moshe and Aaron. Eliyahu Navi's level came way down when they after this whole story and then he went to Shemayim whatever it was. So we see from here, and I think that's the feeling that we all should have. It's, a, it's an interesting point. I don't know 
if anybody would agree with it in our day and age to say either step up, step in, or step out. You know, don't be a half Jew. Um, because there's a different side to it that every mitzvah you have and you do, you know, counts. But it seems to me that in that day, there was so doing both. There was so going to church and then going to shul that he came to a point where you can't do both. You, you got to make a decision. You got to you got to choose one. And finally, this nation, Klaistrol, screamed out loud, Hashem Olakim, Hashem Olakim. So I think that's a very big lesson to all of us and that my tefillah and my prayer to everyone is that we see really from the Gemara, today there's really nothing in this Gemara that's not here. The Holocaust, they didn't have chutzpah. I asked my mother-in-law, you know, like, did anyone ever talk back to their parents in the in pre-Holocaust? There was no such thing. Your parents walked, you walked into the room, you got up. You you never answered a parent or a Rebbe or anyone. You never answered anyone back. There was no chutzpah in that door. Yes, they went off the derech, and there was maskilim, and there was reformed Judaism. But the Gemara is not talking about reformed Judaism or maskilim. The Gemara is talking about where the greatest enemy of the family is the kid in the house. Is going to end up being the biggest troublemaker, and and daughters are not going to talk to their mothers, and sons are not going to talk to their fathers, and they're not going to be embarrassed to do what they do in front of their fathers. They didn't have that in the Holocaust. So I told this Holocaust person, I said, "You're right. What you said that you that was a piece of it. You had a piece of it. You had the war. We have the last piece. There's nothing in that Gemara that's missing anymore, except the wine thing. I don't know what the deal with that is. The wine will become expensive. I don't know what that means. That I don't know what that means. But everything else that's in the Gemara." It's all here. So it's not like the Holocaust that was a piece. We had the Holocaust. That was a piece. And now we have all the other pieces. Every single piece. And yes, people are scared to get up and say, yeah, to be anti-abortion and anti-gay uh, marriages. And, and ra- nobody got up. Everyone's scared to get up and, 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 and say what they have to say because it's not, it's not popular. It's not popular to be anti. You know, you're not a politician. You're, you're not going to get the votes. You're not going to, you know, you're not going to get the money. You're not, yeah, yeah, it's not popular. It's not popular. When the Gemara says, you're not going to do it. It's not popular. So we're not really saying what's on our mind because we're scared that, oh my gosh, no one's going to invite me to speak anymore. Who cares? So don't speak. I told someone the other day, they're like, you know, you got up and you were very strong. And you know, one of these days, Rabbi Wolfstein, told me this last week, one of these days, you're going to say something and they're going to take you off Torah anytime and, or now the women are not going to come to your shear. You're going to say something so severe that people are not going to want to come hear you anymore. You're not going to be able to speak anymore anyway. And I said, you know what? Hope it happens. Because I'll go sit and learn. It's so bad. Right? If you say something, you're a pinchas, and because of that, people, you say the truth, and people don't want to talk to you anymore because you said the truth. So go sit and learn. Learn chess. There's a lot to learn out there. Don't be scared. Don't be scared to tell your friends the truth and what's good for them. So they'll never invite you again. You brought them into Ganeiden. Believe me, they'll invite you to Ganeiden. Yeah, they might not invite you to the party. Of course, you have to go through yourself and make sure that you're not doing it for any other reason. That's why my Pinchas, it says, Brisi Shalom, Hashem had to say witness that he had no hatred for Zimri or anything else. It didn't come from, you know, because sometimes you're giving Musa because you're jealous or whatever. Pinchas Hashem said, Brisi Shalom. He did it from Shalom. He, he had no hatred whatsoever. There was no ulterior motive. 
So that you need to do before you tell someone Musr, you need to go inside yourself and say, do I really love this person? Do I really care about this person? And that is why I'm telling them the truth? Or there's a little bit jealousy. Or a little bit, you know what, I'm not so happy today, why should she be happy? So then you're not allowed to say anything. If it's even a 1%, you're not allowed to say anything. It has to be 100% pure. But, don't, but never look behind you. You do what you got to do. If you really love someone, unconditional love, the same thing when you bring up your children. I'm not saying you shouldn't love your kids. And I have I have a school that I opened that nobody wanted those kids, right? And and we opened a school that's all love. I'm into I'm into unconditional love, which means I will give you everything that's good for you. Whatever is good for you, I will give. And if I don't think it's good for you, then that's my decision. That's I'm a human being. If I don't think it's good for you, and I research, and I don't think it's good for you, I'm not giving it to you. I'm not giving it to you, even if you don't like me. My little grandson this Shabbos was sick, and he had fever, and he's by the table, and my children had to give him medicine. Man, you should have seen that look on his face. He looked at his parents like, you are the most evil, cloned monsters, right? But they were putting medicine in, and he was miserable. He had a high fever, and a half an hour later at the table, he was sitting there and laughing, because the Tylenol took. So, as a parent, we don't have, we're not scared to do that. We, we, even if you, you're kicking and fighting me, I'm going to do what's good for you. And I, I think that's very, very important. If you really love someone, then you're going to do what's good for them, even if it's going to hurt your relationship. That is the ultimate sacrifice. And that's this week. And that's how Pinchas became a Malach. Eliyahu became a Malach. Pinchas became a Malach. Eliyahu is a Malach. Malach Hashem. Sometimes he comes down as a human, but he's a Malach. He has to put his human body back on. Became a malach from Pinchas. He wasn't a Kayan. Do you know that had he killed Zimri as a Kayan, he would have never been able to do the Avaidah? Because if a Kohen kills someone, you can't do the Avaidah. Even if I'm a Kayan, someone comes to attack me and he's a Jew, and I shoot him to protect myself, I can never do the Avaidah. So had he been a Kohen and he killed Zimri, he wouldn't have been able to become a Kayan. After he killed Zimri, Hashem made him the Kayan. Because he was already born before Aaron became a Kayan. So he only became a Kayin after he did his deed. And he wasn't a Kanoi. Everyone thinks he was this mean, evil, angry guy. He wasn't. He wasn't at all. I have to tell you that I'll end with this. If you, in the, I don't know what capital in Tehillim, it says, Vayipalel Pinchas. The Medjish says, I read it last night. The Medjish says, and Hashem said to Pinchas, I am wiping out every Jew. Because they all stood there and they watched this Zimri do what he did and nobody said anything. Moshevenu couldn't say anything because he married a Midianite. So Zimri said, you don't tell me nothing. You married one. So don't preach to me if you marry one that I can't be with one. She was a gay and he married her. Not what this guy was doing doesn't matter. He shut Moshevenu. Moshevenu couldn't answer. So the whole class was standing there. Hashem was being disgraced and nobody was doing anything. So Hashem said, everyone's gone. I am destroying all of them. After Pinchas killed Zimri, Pinchas stood in front of Hashem by Yispalel, he davened for the people who called him an Avodah animal stuffer, okay, and tried to kill them, he davened for them that Hashem should forgive them and let them live. Is that a man of anger? Is that a mean guy? He should have said, you know what, all the guys that call me names, kill them. And uh, all the guys that try to kill me, kill them. And let everybody else live. He stood there and he davened 
for the Jews that made fun of him and tried to kill him. That's who he was. But at the end of the day, Hashem came first. You can't disgrace my God and get away with it. And that's what he did, and that's how he reacted. May we all be zayichet to see Eliyahu and Navi Bikarif. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.